Polyhedron is a production of Headcanon Games, LLC. Please bookmark Headcanon Games for the latest in Polyhedron news. Polyhedron is sponsored by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to become a patron of Polyhedron, please go to patreon.com slash polyhedron. Now, on with your show. Welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG-related. I'm your host, Matthew, and as always, I have my good co-host, Ryan. Howdy. And returning for a second time as a guest of the show, and... Uh, not a hostage. And not a hostage, absolutely. This is not... I, I have been instructed to say that I am not here against my will uh, <laughs> in retaliation for what may have happened two weeks ago. So... I have said what I was instructed to say. And, <laughs> and you have done a fantastic job saying what you obviously were supposed to say. Thank you. You did very well. I want to serve. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, is Ms. Murphy is back in the studio with us today to talk about a little bit of Dungeons & Dragons, everyone. Woo! Woo. Uh, Scott is not here because, well, he's a fuddy-dud, and we don't like fuddy-duds around here. Yeah, he does not like that. Yeah, he's he's not a D and Der. He's uh, so he doesn't have a great passion for it. So, but someone who does have a great passion for this game is Ms. Murphy. Yo, it's okay. I think Amber Diceless is a stupid game. <laughs> I love the setting, adore the setting, don't like the system. No experience with it. Sounds like I'd hate it. Oh yeah. Oh, by the way, bravo for your comments of of the thing uh, of the previous episode. Have you said about Amber? It was fantastic. <laughs> I don't remember what I said, but I'm glad it was entertaining. It's probably uh, similar it, to what I said. No, you said. I think I quote. Um, That's bullshit. As soon as you hear there were no dice. Uh yeah, I love rolling dice. <laughs> Listen, Look. diceless systems are cute and all, but you, come come on. You should just play pretend. Well, it's it's fine to each their own. Everyone has their fun in different realms, and that's right. perfectly okay. I be more accepting. Yeah, but um, that's not my, my job here. <laughs> but what Shut is your then, then? What is your job here, Ryan? Well, I usually to be funny. I thought I thought my job. I thought you only asked me here because I'm funny. Well, I mean, you haven't made me laugh today yet, so you're you're slacking on the job. Hey, Matt, suck a dick. Oh, fair, fair. Made Murphy laugh, good enough. <laughs> as long as one person in the room laughs, that's it. But anyways, let's actually focus. We don't have much news to go over with. Um, as we've probably said in the past, RPGs is kind of one of those so sort of peaks and valleys as far as like new things happening. Uh, we're not going to spend another 10 minutes beating off John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> there, you made me laugh. You've earned your paycheck. Thanks. I'll get my I'll get my granola bar and leave. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, it's just you and me. Let's talk about some D and D. Talk about D and D, and so we're gonna hop right into now it. Now the patriarchy's gone. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm not included. <laughs> so, all right, really, for reals this time, <laughs> let's focus. D and D, Dungeons and Dragons, oh, the re- my first love. Yeah, the reason this is probably important to all three of us is it's probably one of the first RPGs that. I think we all experienced or had very fond or very robust memories about. Um, for people who don't know, Dungeons and Dragons is one of the granddaddy of all role-playing groups, uh, role-playing games. It is basically what let all Western RPGs sort of to come to fruition. Uh, it was made by Gary Gygax and some of his fellows many, many years ago in the mid mid seventies. It was originally called Chainmail. It was a tabletop strategy game that got morphed into a more um, pen and paper form uh, called uh, I think we've vent. No, it was just called Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. Advanced Dungeons and Dragons was the second edition uh, of the. I believe. Yes, yep. and it was came out in 89, and then 2000 was 3rd edition, and then in uh, 03 was 3.5, which... Yeah, because I, 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 I played my... I got my first introduction to Dungeons & Dragons in around 20, 2001, so that would make sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then in 08, 4th edition came out, which we have some words to say about that. And then recently, in 2014, we had our uh, fifth edition D&D, which was originally called D&D Next until they slapped a five on it and it made more sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty tasty. Yeah, so that later. that's the basics is, and so systematically, so just 
very bare bones. What what ties all of these additions together is that Dunge- Dungeons and Dragons deals with a D20, twenty sided die. Typically, in most cases, it was you roll D20, you add or subtract some sort of modifier to the roll. The outcome of that roll then determines success or failure. That was the very bare bones basics of it. it. It's that family. It's it's part of it's. Many episodes ago, I talked about the two different families where, you know, it's either dice pool or single die. And this was the Mac Daddy of single die. Yeah, it's it's it can be fast. It can be very rules light. And we'll probably through our discussion, we'll explain that how it went from rules light to rules heavy back. It's now trying to go back to rules light. Um, But let's now that we got the basics underway, um, let's start off with something nice. Uh, Murphy, how did you get started with Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, Dungeons and Dragons was actually my very first um, experience with tabletop. I was um, I spent a lot of time at my best friend's house growing up, Hallie Ringo, if you're listening. Um, and I think her brother or cousin, one of them had the box of uh, AD and D, had gotten it from somewhere. None of us knew what it was. We thought it was some kind of weird board game. We tried to play. We really didn't understand what we were doing. Uh, it, we had no idea where we were going, what, what was supposed to be happening. We were probably about 13 at the time. So that was actually my very first introduction to tabletop gaming. Later on, I got more interested in it, actually with uh, the same with her and a few other people I knew, uh, as a uh, more codified way for Play Pretend, which we were always great fans of. But uh, yeah, we tried to play D&D and failed miserably. We didn't know that there was supposed to be a, 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 a DM, or rather, we didn't understand what that role was. We did not know what we were doing. <laughs> Sounds uh, delightful. A lot of people who... As uh, I brought up um, before when we were talking last week, it's a lot easier to get into gaming if you have somebody who already knows to bring you in. In you fact, really, most people I know come into gaming because their friends game. You really yeah. got to have someone hold your hand for some of this stuff. Yep. Yeah, so. because you're dealing with like more abstract thought, especially if you're coming in your teens, you're coming out of your childhood, you're going into the idea of more advanced and complicated thinking, yep. and role-playing requires you to have that. If you really want to get the most out of it, you've got to have think uh, more abstractly. Absolutely, and, and we definitely had the creativity and the drive for it. We loved play pretend and role-play type games. We just had never had that particular, you know, the codified sit down with some dice and a map system before. So that was very new to us. And of course, later, is, uh, uh, as I mentioned before, I'm from the country where people believe the Jack trick uh, tract of uh, how D&D makes you kill your brother or sister. So a lot of people I knew were very weirded out by it, especially when we were in our early teens. So I never actually played until I was about 18 or 19. Uh, we've mentioned this on previous episodes, and thank you, Murphy, for bringing this up. Is, um, D&D actually has a very long history. Obviously, it was made in the 70s, um, but uh, it had that sort of uh, religious connotation to it. A lot of people, a lot of very religious people had this idea that role-playing games, especially D&D, because that was the poster child at the time, um, was summoning the devil in communion with evil. I mean, there is that sp- naked succubus. I have the book at home. Yeah, that's true. They, they The book of Vile Darkness from 3rd edition. It's yeah. The good stuff. Well, even, even back in the day, I mean, they were dealing with mythologies, non-Christian mythologies, and they were playing with them in the game. You were dealing with gods, and you were priests and priestesses of various gods and demons, and yeah, I can see why people got a little ants in their pants well, over the situation. Well, you know, then later... Oh, go ahead. Oh, it's the same thing with the Harry Potter thing. You know, people being like, oh, it's sinful because they use actual Latin words for demon names or whatever. People uh, like to get upset about if stuff. The Christian fundamentalists need to turn whatever is making their child smile and have an imagination into something terrible so they can punish their children. Are, are, are you spending time on something that isn't the Bible? Yeah, basically, are you reading something that... Roll to see if I'm saved! <laughs> roll the, oh, no, roll to be saved! Oh, oh no! Crap, all right, it. all right. <laughs> uh, oh well, might as well lean into it. <laughs> steer into steer into it. Uh, uh, mine was actually the first experience I had with Dungeons and Dragons was being told that it was uh, as I was playing Magic the Gathering uh, during uh, gym class. Uh, a lovely young girl came up to me and told me about how games like Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering were uh, dangerous for your soul. For like Magic the Gathering, no less. Oddly just... enough, a lot of people in my hometown played that. I, I wasn't allowed because it wasn't for girls, but. Uh... That was super common in my high school. So the first time I, I mean, I was a, you know, I was still like a little obstinate shit back then too. So I basically just called her an idiot and told her what, what it was actually like to play these games and what it actually was like. And after that, she sort of let up and became my friend. So that was fine. But, uh, 
the first actual D and D experience I had was with I, I talked about it on the first episode. One of just some kid a year older than me who lived down the street who I was sort of friends with but not really wanted to run Dungeons and Dragons and he did and it sucked. So <laughs> you know, eventually I got into a game with some that didn't suck. I mean, it sucked too, but like. You know, I didn't really have a, a good D&D experience, like an actually, like, looking back on it, like a healthy, fun, constructive roleplay experience until I was, like, in my 20s. Oh. Yeah. Well, as I said, then, in you're generally in your teens when you're starting to roleplay, and you're still learning a lot of things, and roleplaying, in some respects, is actually teaching you those more complicated, higher thought processes as you're sort of developing them. And so I would say your 20s, if you're serious about role-playing and you can kind of get into it, is where you start having those much more robust and healthy and fun experiences. Well, it's also the realization that if I want to play Grand Theft Auto, I'll, Auto, I'll just go fucking play Grand Theft Auto and, and like, cause have, havoc and wreak destruction. I don't need, like, to sit around with a pen and paper and roll dice to go cause mayhem and destruction. That is uh, much if you want to have the fantasy of being a bad guy... Yeah, if I want the fantasy of being a bad guy, there's plenty of bad guy simulators on console for that. Absolutely. Like, And you're not wasting anyone else's time other than yourself doing that. It, it's just healthier to... like it, was, it, it just came about to be healthier that... Or I wanted something healthier or something more interesting or something more complicated. And it was in my 20s that I realized, looking back, that it's just like, I'm, oh my god, I've been wasting so much time with so, this crap. Was one, of the, was one of the problems you had early on, was it an adversarial relationship with the GM or at the table? Oh, was for that God's really sake, it? yes. Oh my god. You know, that's that's actually the root of a lot of bad experiences at a table. Sorry, I know we're getting away from D&D specifically, but in general, this is all applicable. Uh, what was your first experience with D&D, Matt? Actually, as you all were talking, I was trying to dredge up those memories. Um, I think my a little tear rolling down his face. Yeah, actually, well, the one I really remember, the one I remember, is it was actually an AD&D game, because I started with AD&D. Um, a lot of people that are only a little bit younger than me, I enjoyed it. Thacko was the, Thacko is horrible. Um, when I first started playing, I was playing with a buddy of mine, uh, and I, the one I remember fondly, we actually transitioned to third ed from AD&D to third ed because third ed had just come out. And I was playing like a warrior. I was playing just a simple fighter with weapon proficiencies and all that good stuff. I love fighters. Playing the simple farm boy, churn warrior, great adventurer concept. Nothing, nothing big, nothing extravagant. And then we like blew up the moon and that's what yeah. shifted us into third edition my and first really serious role-playing game we also destroyed the moon it was not D&D &D, it was uh, never after but yeah but the moon it's <laughs> there memories. moon is there it should be destroyed right that's how this works I mean look at it up in the sky taunting us I'm don't so... you know it's day go back to the night moon <laughs> Good night, Moon. Has a whole new connotation. <laughs> oh, yeah, same guy sometimes. Ah, that was fantastic. Thank you for going there with me. <laughs> that was a great little journey. Yeah. All right. So that was basically my experience. I've had a lot of third edition memories. Like I played a whole crap ton of third I've edition. Actually, I've got across the board now, just like since third edition, a shit ton of D and D under my belt. Just the Every which kind of group in GM. I've played pretty much all the classes at this point, except for I don't think I've ever played, played a ranger. Bard. Rangers were actually good at a time at one time, so oh, they were they were ultra fighters for they, a time. They were like hyper specialized fighters. That's what they are for a, good, for a time. Yeah, I mean, so uh, so those were basically our experiences. Obviously, we have a lot of memories of third edition. Uh, I never played Chainmail. Um, uh, played a handful of AD and D games. Played a lot of third edition. Played obviously a little bit of three point five. And all three point five was is they took the basic bare bones of the system of third ed and just revised a little bit to clarify and then they moved on and they basically reprinted all the books so everyone had to buy the books again <laughs> yep. also recomplicated literally everything with all the same crap that was in third edition it was it was terrible to the okay. point that you had to preface that every game or is that 3.0 or 3.5 that we're talking about yeah exactly like, the conversation stops when you say third. Yeah, it's it, it was it was good. It was in my memory of three point uh, three point oh, 
is was very good. It was obviously astoundingly better than AD and D. Three point five was a little bit better. I think I missed out on three. I think I've only ever played three point five. I'm trying to dredge back in my memories. Three point five didn't take. There's not much difference. There really wasn't. It was three or four years difference. I actually had a lot of. Oh yeah, yeah. It was definitely by the time I started playing more seriously, three point five was out. Um, Also, they backdated Errata for basically a lot of the books they didn't re-release. Like, they never re-released an epic-level handbook for 3.5. Right. Because, wow, you're crazy. You masochist. Please stop. Yeah. Like, I've played an epic-level game in in 3.5. It was a nightmare. Yeah, it's it's a logistical nightmare, because I remember working on my character for an epic-level game that we only played, like, once for, like... Five. Two days straight, yeah, like just straight, just five, spreadsheets and everything. Five books open in front of me, like four classes, mostly prestige classes. Templates. Epic, we started throwing templates epic, on that bitch. Epic level items, epic level feeds. I had psionics because I'm a bad person. And you hit uh, yourself and everyone else around you. The game like lasted like fucking psionics. The game lasted like two sessions and like because we were clever and just like we were just badass dudes and we rolled the shit out of like the bad guy on the first thing so my gm got petulant and fucking murdered us with a c with like a cr25 monster you know really fun guys and Uh, i mean it so in 3.0 they did a lot of mechanical things in 3.5 they revised a lot of those mechanics but kept a lot of the mechanics i think it's on the tier of exalted for the longest 6 second round of all in all yeah, probably hmm. i mean that's the more mechanics you throw into a system the more tedious and the specifics you get down to the longer each combat round i'll get be. into what, how they slim down 3.50 later and what the, <clears throat> what the biggest difference is that actually sped up combat immensely when we get down to like the nitty gritty yeah and then in 2008 they brought up fourth edition on fourth edition um we have a few words to say about that i mean the bulk of this episode is supposed to be about fifth edition and we're going to get there very soon but we have to say a few words about fourth edition um fourth edition really was a hail back to actually the chainmail days they really mechanically made a smooth system but to everyone who played it, cannot agree with you on that. Also, hope you got miniatures. Yeah, that ex- was the first game I ever played where we actually used miniatures. Uh, yeah. Every time I'd ever played a game before that, it was always very narrative. The rules enforced upon you that you had to use them. Mm-hmm. And that was a symptom of, in 3.5, at, at the very end of 3.0 and into 3.5, uh, Hasbro games, the ones who own Wizards of the Coast, which own Dungeons and Dragons, were really trying to get into the tabletop sort of hero clicks market. They were trying to market all these tabletop war games, and guess what they did with fourth edition? Oh, yeah, they made it into a war game. Made it into a war game. I, okay, there's so, so many other stuff you could do within the system. Sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Okay, so I have a lot to say on fourth edition because I played it an unbelievable amount. Like I played it a huge, a lot more than me probably. I have, look, I had I had a D and D subscription. Like I had the character builder like program and all the stuff for it i had all the books oh man they promised the moon on that killer boy, character oh building boy, did they promise <laughs> D table remember D table i do motherfuckers i have never, never experienced came. what you're talking about i have no came. idea what you're I, talking about what give murphy to speed up the audience and murphy on it, this it was like an app it was like a fucking apple like unveiling for like the new iphone it's like we're changing and innovating like it was that level of Whoa. promises to, i remember um one of my friends who bought 3.5 this was before 4 had a character builder came with it like on a cd-rom but i don't remember that i never experienced that before Four O character builder was extensive and it was actually pretty good i was subscribed what i have to say about 4.0 is this the one, the great, one of the greatest complaints about Fourth Edition is that it wasn't a role playing game, and that you, it did not support actual role playing. That is bullshit. That is, that is unimaginative. People needing, for some reason, rules to talk to each other in character, yeah, which my, I find completely distasteful. The only game I ever played, there was definitely not a very large for uh, for much of a period of time. There was not a huge role play component. It was. Um, Definitely a lot more just D and D combat dungeon crawls. It was still fun, and we probably would have had a story and would have had more. My party role played with each other, of course. We all had characters, but they weren't as fully fleshed out. I don't think of that as a failing of the system as much as some of the, the deepest, game we were playing. Some of the deepest role playing I've ever had done was within a fourth edition campaign because it was just like the table was good for it. Like that's what the table wanted to do. My so only counter argument to that statement is because. Um, 
they produced a lot of uh, adventures. They produced a lot of uh, supplemental material for 4.0. And one of the things they did was everything was very measured out, like powers were per day or per per encounter, encounter, which is super weird to me. And because of these adventures, the way that it resigned was, because I remember a story that was told to me was they were like, well, we're under a timetable. We got to go stop the lich. And they're like, well, we don't have our encounter partners. And so we're going to rest. And it says, you, it says in the book, you guys should rest because you're going to need your powers for that. And they're like, no, we're on a timetable. We're going to go kill the lich now. And it's like, you guys, you will not defeat the lich unless you rest now to get your powers. So it created a, a, a disconnect in the system. And that sounds like a failure, not so much of the system of D and D, but of the, of the um, adventure design. I've actually been, uh, reading and thinking a lot about adventure design lately, um, especially the time component and how to handle rests. That's something I've always had trouble with as both a player and a GM. Oh, I guess my statement on this was just an extension from that example is... I've also never played a pre-generated game yeah. in any system. I've it, never played a pre-generated model. It just requires the GM a lot more like... You have to manage resource. You have to manage your players' resources in order to make sure that the encounter is appropriate to what they're that doing. That is a great sin. And I will, that is a great sin of a game to, to make the GM have to keep in mind what every PC is capable of at all times. One of the other issues that 4th edition had early on was that the monsters in Monster Manual 1 had about uh, twice as much HP as they needed to have. Uh, ah, every, the opposite of 5th. Of, of every monster, every statistic uh, in 4th edition had a generating function uh, of, dependent on the level of the uh, monster. Like, the mon- there was a monster builder program that you Ooh. could literally scale up monsters... Yep. And it, because it, it was were, all mathematical. Like they was, were really, it was mechanically, it was well balanced and well thought out. It just didn't feel like D and D to people. That was actually one of the greatest arguments that I ever had. Yeah, that's actually kind of Very much so. with my limited experience with it how I feel as well. I mean, I played a wizard going through dungeons. What's more D and D than that? But I just got to. I mean, a lot. I will say though that like I felt it. Some of if you built the characters correctly, you could feel pretty badass and like the way you handled it and a lot of people were just like like so hung up that their base attack had a name yeah. to it like it was weird for them it's just like i don't know do you really need to worry about it that? was flavor it was charms they yeah, were just they, describe it differently whatever yeah. it's well and that was probably quite alien to a lot of people who were used to 3.5 and who hadn't had experience with other types of games i mean you just referred to charms you know from white wolf I never played a game like that until I played your Exalted game. That was super new to me. I played games that had name talents before, but I, I remember had a name. I remember being a little weirded out by that when I first played. Well, first and, when I played D&D and I can see so that transition ago. from a three point five, especially three point five, to this very much blocked out and well me- measured uh, uh, entity that was four O. But like I said, mechanically, I didn't mind four O. The feel was off. It was the setting that they they did, the butchering of the setting of oh, Fourth Ed, that really got to me. They I love butchered for, Farron so badly. So to give some backstory, most D and D games um, through the history have had various settings that they generally are by default. Um, they had done Greyhawk, which was original like D and D and A D and D. Yeah, yeah. And then in 3.0 and 3.5, a uh, new realm called Forgotten Realms that was written by a couple very good authors. Ed, uh, Green, Ed Greenwood being the first who wrote the Elminster series, and it really just exploded from there because, you know. It, they wrote a lot of really good books and really, really, really were endeared by this setting. And so guess what they did for 4.0? They made that the default setting. But to make mechanical sense of all how things worked – in relation to all the stuff that had previously been written in the books, because those books were written with the idea of AD&D 3.0 rules. Yes. (laughs) Reading the books, if you were not a player, by the way, always felt so kludgy and weird because they would fictionalize all the mechanics. uh, I I did read a Forgotten Realms book or two before I ever really started playing, and um, I would be like, okay, I get it. It's a game. They they, They needed to figure out a reason why magic's funky and... They just kind of went from there. And they basically, in my opinion, completely exploded and murdered Forgotten Realms in any sort of version that I thought was Forgotten Realms. Uh, we just never even, like, we didn't even fuck with that. Like, yeah. We yeah. completely ignored that. We had our own setting. It's just, no, it's free spell plague, but your m- machine works different. Like, I'm, your mechanics just work different. I'm right. sorry. And, and 
that was my biggest, one of my biggest issues. I read that and I was like, I'm completely turned off of 4.0. Your mechanics may be wonderful. I don't care. Your setting that you want me to play in is crap. Uh, and one of the, uh, and if you want, but that that's a minor sin. You can just throw that out completely and, and go back and just, you can make Drizzt in, in any system. Right, that's one of the things I always liked about D&D is it is really divorced from the setting. In fact, most of my early gaming was the rules were fairly setting neutral, and D&D is an example of that. The only thing that's really not is how cleric stuff works. It, mm-hmm. it is very divorced from the setting, which is actually... It can be, yes. It, it, well, it, by its very nature, that right. it is supposed to be divorced yes. from the setting. That's one of its draws. Now, Foro's biggest... And we're... Goddamn, we're spending a lot of time on Foro, but... I'll well, we're it. almost done. I promise okay. we're about to sh- shift um, over to the fifth. Foro's greatest sin was power creep. In a, on an echelon that made th- that should have made 3-5, like... Like Twitter painted in blush a little bit because if you go, if you're listening to this on a computer right now, go look at the release schedule of Fourth Edition Dungeons and Dragons books. Look at every book that has anything to do that wasn't a monster manual or a Dungeon Master's Guide. I guarantee you, every book that was released beyond the first round of them had new mechanics in them that were better than the mechanics in the book before them. I guarantee you that. Like. Some of the greatest, nastiest, craziest classes were released towards the end of 4.0's life. Uh, with just, and it was just not even attractive to play base level or base type characters. Like, which is great marketing. Oh, you want to play my game? You want to be really good. Well, maybe you should buy that newer book and not use the. Yeah, that's that's a sin of the company, in they, my opinion. They made they made a a ranger knockoff. They they basically introduced uh the primal. Heroes, like yeah. Primal being an energy primal magic source, stuff. Primal magic and primal heroes being an energy source for how magic works. They basically released something called a seeker, which was a ranger, but better than a ranger could ever be or want to be. Right. Like it was just crazy, and it and I I personally loved it. It was a great time for me. <laughs> but like you know, just it, every book after was was better than the last book mechanics wise, and the power creep was just so crazy obvious. That it was just terrible. You couldn't, you know, and you know, you're G- you had to be that GM that was like, no, we're using the base book. Shut up. Yeah, so and like, it hello. had to be that way. And and I guess, and that was always my problem with three o, three five, and then four was this this rapid release schedule. I know a company needs to make money, and they realized that that nerd culture was taking off at the time. Look, this was from 2000 to 2000, just before uh, like 2012. You're talking about the explosion of all the superhero uh, superhero phenomena, all this other stuff, all we these TV shows. We, we need so we much escapism. Ever, yeah. yeah, and. And that's what they were like, oh, they want escapism. Give them escapism. Let them release these books on a rapid succession. We have this open gaming license. Feel free to make whatever you want and then release it out into the world. I will say I, I actually only ever played games that used the baseline books uh, of ever until now with uh, with 5th edition. Um, so that never really was a big problem for me. But I was, they also uh, really like to re-release even the base, even the, stand, the, the core rule set. And um, – it was always very tempting. They were they were very attractive books. I never had the funds for them back then, but um, I oh, knew people who would buy them. Yep. Books. I now, had a friend who got them, and we played for a little. That's actually we played for a little while because she bought the books and invested in it. So that that didn't prompt us to go. So I guess that was nice. But let's get on with our main topic. I know we've just spent nearly thirty minutes talking about all the previous editions of D anD D, but now we're actually going to talk about fifth edition here. Woo! And as I said, this was released in 2014, and I must say I'm quite impressed with it. Um, I'm utterly smitten. um, They went back to more primitive time. They took the really, really good things of 3.0, which was sort of the codified stats and sort of just using a simple D20 for everything, and everything goes off of that. And they got rid of – like you couldn't even tell they did 4th edition. There's not a lot in 4th edition in 5th edition books. And from what they did from there was they packaged it in these gorgeous books with great art and they specifically like something that impressed me about the development of D&D 5th edition was they were in playtesting for the system for like two years. Um, They specifically had an open playtesting. They were like, here, you can have free material you can run a game with. I really admire that they just they acknowledge that people are going to get the material for free and they make the books appealing to buy. Right. And they were like, here, have these books. 
give us feedback, help us make this the best game that it possibly can be. And that's what they did. And then they specifically, when they released these books, they were like, yeah, all you really need is the three base books. You need the player's handbook, you need the monster manual and the dungeon master guy. If you're willing to fork over roughly a hundred and $120 in total, you can have as much adventure that you could ever want. And anything beyond this is just gravy on, on top. Well, we're also about a year and a half in. And as far as like new, like, released books with new mechanics in them, they're pretty subdued. Like, yes. Sword Coast Adventures Guide has a little. And even um, then, it's like the Dwarven Battle Rager from, from Faerun, which, if you really get down to brass tacks, like, looking at it, it's like, I mean, the Battlemaster Fighter in the core book is a better, like, if, you, if you're if you a crunchy, crunchy person, it's better. It's more fun. Well, right. sure, I would say that they don't suffer from power creep. I mean, the mechanics are interesting. I like the Arcana Cleric from uh, Sword Coast. That was cool. Oh, yep. no, it's not actually, better. It's not worse either in that case. Lack of power creep is a, that's a great thing. plus sign in my, in my opinion. Like, uh, I, yeah. I, like I would not be afraid to let – if I was running a game so far, I would not be afraid to let players use whatever from any published material and, for, and, for Fifth Ed. And I think that's what they're doing here is um, all their in-house products are being well-managed. They're keeping the mechanics – Small and simple, but they're flushing out all the other books beyond the three base books or have a lot, a lot of setting, which the three base books, as Ryan probably alluded to just a few minutes ago, was there's not a lot of setting in these books. And that's specific. That's that you was know by what design. Fantasy land is like good. Go play there. Here's yeah. some gods in case you care. Otherwise, enjoy generic fantasy land. Yeah, and do whatever you want. Have some fun. Here's all the mechanics you need. <laughs> and then the later books are like, yeah, do you really like those old settings? You really do? Here, why don't you buy these, buy these other books that has tons and tons of writing in it? The Sword Coast Adventures book is pretty impressive as far as a Faron book goes because it basically covers like the original, the 3.0 Faron book is a beast of a book. It's huge. It's beautiful. Super, I have it. It's super. Oh, so do I. And it's super dense. I'll be damned if they did not cover a whole good bit of that information in like a book about a third of the size for Sword Coast also, Adventures. Also, the Sword Coast Adventures guide is extremely accessible to read because a lot of it's written in a narrative style, which mm-hmm. is, and they actually deliver a lot of the information that way. It's not, I love tables. I love them. Don't go to that book if that's what you're looking for, though. It's definitely well, more what they did story-like. Was, <clears throat> from the Forgotten Realms book for 3.0 and then into 5th edition, all they did was uh, just sort of take all the statistics out. They were like, no, we don't need all this extra I don't data. I if a city has 96,000 no, people. That, I was right. to be like, you don't Is it a to... large city? Okay, that's all I need to know. It's got a, I need to know the population of <laughs> Is Chult. there likely to be a blacksmith here? Okay, cool. Is there likely to be a college here? Okay, that's all you need is what size Yeah. Yeah, and, and in and that... that really specific And in that, they, they created a system to where... Here, have the books, have it go, have your adventures, and it feels like D&D. Anyone who played AD&D, anyone who played 3.0, anyone who played 3.5, this feels like D&D. Well, yeah, it's three point, it's, it feels a lot like 3.0 without all the stupid rules fuckery uh, that was... Yeah, that it's also it. much, much more accessible to somebody who's either new to gaming or will take some more casual bent to it. Um, these games are, they're very, you can build a character in 20 minutes or let... Uh, you know, for if you're if you're just starting out, um, even I played a level twenty character recently. It didn't take that long to build. The books are very easy to understand what you need to do. So even if you don't have experienced gamers to help you along with, what you really sort of needed if you were just using a pen and paper to make a character for for fourth, this you can get started. And I'll tell you what they did to streamline it. First of all, there is no rule uh, in this book that has more than like two if elses involved. You can't have a lot of conditions. You can't. Have, you, nope. you, you, which Foros, one of its greatest sins was about 15 debuffs at yeah. one time spread out over four monsters, <laughs> and they were all different. Do you have advantage? Do you have disadvantage? Does and your proficiency apply? And just okay. so people understand what advantage, since Murphy decided to bring that one, that little nugget I up. Love it. I love it. I love the advantage, disadvantage. Mechanic, mecha- the mechanical advent of advantage is fantastic. Is just that in, when you roll that d20, roll a second d20, and if you have advantage, take the highest roll. If you have disadvantage, take the lowest of the two rolls, and that's have, it. Yes, if you have advantage and disadvantage, they cancel out. And like, there's no double advantage there's or no double. double yeah. It's just on or off. It's right. very simple. It's on the it's incumbent upon the player to keep up with what's affecting their character for the most part, which is very important to make and, things move quickly. And no matter what gets thrown on your character from magic or whatnot, most of it's addition. None of very few things are subtraction. So it's just 
add yep. add a number, add like one number, maybe two, and that's it. Yes, and then roll an extra D four or an extra D six. Yeah. Anything off the top of my head right now in which you have to add like more than your proficiency bonus to say like uh, an attack roll. I can't think of anything that really modifies. Yeah, bless, but yeah. Yeah, like bless that does like an extra. D4. It's a spell that yeah you can put an extra. But D4 that's on, about but... it. Like yep. the bardic inspirations, you roll a little extra die here and there. Yep. Um, but what they really did that really like narrowed stuff down was super codifying how much shit you can do in one turn. You have a standard action, a move action, a bonus action, and on on another player's turn, a reaction or another once per round. Once per round is a reaction, and but whatever. You can spend that action for action things. You can spend that bonus action for bonus action things. And it's very clear what's an action, what can be applied as a bonus action. Like, so if you get something that allows you to have an extra action, there's no, right. you don't have to sit and wonder, can I do this? Well, what, what really bogged down 3.5 was that you got more and more attacks as you got. Mm-hmm. You're, if you stood and did not move or just took a five foot like block step, you got your your full allotment of attacks, which if you're me or any other person who cares about rules or mechanics or anything like that, is eight. That's how many you usually get between five and eight attacks, all of which had to be rolled. That's against. just too many attacks. Yeah, it's too many attacks, all of which had to take into – by the way, they were scaling downwards in number, too. They weren't all the same number. Right. They go down by six or five every time. Yep. Ugh. And some of them had different modifiers depending on if they were offhand. And I, I shit you not. Like, I have seen – Yeah, I'm just picturing fighter with two weapons. Oh, yeah, and, and uh, my, my on-hand has a plus four. My offhand has yeah. a plus two. Right. Yeah, and your different weapons and their defenses change. It, it, it was insanity. Uh, fifth Ed's, a fourth Ed's problem in this regard wasn't so much that. It was it's, keeping up with what you still had available to you was, was difficult. Resource management and re- managing the status effects that were on you and on them. And making sure the GM knew which ones were on you. And, and just figuring out all that crap. So fifth edition does a fantastic job. I think you get two attacks. I think that's... Basically. Yeah, I think so. Maybe three at the um, highest end. Yeah, fighter at fifth level gets two attacks, and, then, and you can do two weapon fighting. But that's, yeah, and a, and a fighter is really and you the can only, get your second win, which gives you one more attack action. So. Well, it's yeah, you get you get but, no action surge, which yeah, sorry, sorry, action surge. One yeah. more standard action, which yep. allows you to take a standard action, which is two attacks. Yep. So at like third or fourth level, you can do four attacks as a fighter. It's it's like a per you know, incremented thing, yep. but that's about as good as it gets. And that's blowing all your resources in yep. order to do that. And you're, Now, that being said, if you choose to do that, you have fucked something up very badly. And it's likely. very satisfying and when you pull it out. It's mm-hmm. really cool, unlike, you know, in 4th Ed, where, or 5th, or 5th Ed, 3rd Ed, sorry, but where you're just like, well, I'm going to roll these 13 attacks and hope to God one of them. Oh, yeah. All the numbers, another thing for people who may be familiar with the older editions but not 5th edition, all the numbers got shrunk. All the numbers, shrunk. like, there's only a few things that give you bonuses to your AC or to your to hit. So all the numbers become much more smaller and more manageable. You're not dealing with 30s and 40s. Proficiency bonus is the core, like, is the basically the spine of the system. Yes. And it, it goes from 1 to 6. Cross-classing doesn't change it. Like, if you are a fifth-level character, you have this proficiency bonus. Yep. It doesn't matter what those levels are. It's your are. default badass level. Yep. It is your default badass You are a five heroes. It's, yes. It is actually a concept that started in fourth edition with a having ha- adding half your level to certain yes. to baseline skills. But that was crap. Um, but there was a lot of other additions that they just kept adding, yeah. kept adding, kept adding. Yep. Now skills are you have – proficiency or you don't like you either have proficiency in this thing or you do not so you are either rolling you yes you're rolling. not buying up ranks and individual skills you uh, either are proficient or not proficient and then your stats add to that proficiency bonus and that's generally it and rogues have the ability to double their proficiency bonus in two to four things yeah like, because that's their special wound because i'm yeah. a rogue and i'm awesome and jack of all trades from the bard class that many are familiar with just give half of that proficiency bonus on stuff you're not proficient right with. it's that kind of thing the math couldn't be simpler it's very easy to know what to do. It's also, a lot of fun. For anyone who's familiar with the older editions, uh, in the Dungeons Master in the Dungeons Master's Guide, they actually talk about magic items. 
Oh, by the way, magic items are so much easier to deal with. They're so much cooler too, also, because they're so them. simple. You can well. In fifth ed, they definitely try to discourage you from just having them for sale. They don't have money. They don't have monetary values. They're supposed to be something you find. Obviously, that's GM discretion, of course. But something also they did in the challenge ratings of monsters mm -hmm. um, is they removed the idea that every certain level you have to have a certain amount of magic item equipment of a certain level in to fact, be on par for that challenge rating. In fact, if you have a if you are GMing and you have a party that has even some baseline magic items, the CRs feel a little low to you. Yeah, which I'm actually totally cool with. I like the idea of having a hard scrabble D and D group. Like, yeah, you found a plus one magic sword. That you guys worked Plus really hard. A big fucking deal in yeah, the system. Yeah, it's like here you go, have fun, and they're all like, "No one will ever touch yeah, this." It this sounds is mine. like it's not a big deal, but then as soon as you play with it, you're like, "Oh, this is very nice." And even if you are like making it rain, a lot of them do require attunement, which is saying you can have <laughs> three. Yep, you have three of these things, and only three. Do you want to use your other thing? Better stop using another one of these things. Yep, and you actually have to spend some in-game in, in time to change what you're attuned yeah. to, so you can't just be like, I am deciding to now use my mace instead of my sword, because also, of whatever reason. Yeah, the stat bump items have been recodified in a very specific way. And nerf to hell and back. Uh, I would disagree completely. I don't know, that built that amulet of constitution, man. Uh, most of the, item, the stat I, bump I, items are still around. They simply set your score to a specific number, and that is the end of it. Like, oh, that's cool. The, I like that. The gauntlets of ogre power, your, your strength's in 19. Doesn't matter what it well, was. It's a, yeah, so it's like, um, yeah, the ratings are if, just... if you're a barbarian with a 20 strength, okay, you don't need this magic item. Move, yep. Give it to someone else. Exactly. Give it to someone else. It, it, well, it, it prevents that sort of issue of like, well, it's a strength item, so give it to the barbarian forever. Shut up, noob. Yeah, in it, fact, it will, this is more. No, give that to your wizard or you know someone who is not yeah, going to be. Yeah, or your cleric who kind of fights occasionally. Okay, yeah. he gets those because he he's his strength. Man, I would. Matt and I've played two very different clerics. I've played war clerics twice, who are crazy fighty and a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I generally have played war clerics in the past. Really? Uh, I just this version of a cleric, I was like, no, I'm just gonna no, be like a, a gross s nerd. Yeah, he is a gross nerd. Oh, he's not gross. He's no, really he's nice. actually quite refined. Yes, he no, is. He's dainty, boy. actually. Yeah, very he's, dainty. He's 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 dainty. Still the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> I. Yeah, my wife uh, that you probably met in the previous episode uh, runs the D&D &D game, and I'm obviously in that one, and I play a guy named Sabian, who's a very, very dainty half-elf cleric, who's, <laughs> I played, who's just so aggravated at the party right now. with funny ways to, to misspell his name. <laughs> I beg of you. Uh, okay, so we talked about that. We talked a lot about the system. Hopefully we didn't put you to sleep with that. Um, let us think about some other cool stuff for D&D 5th Edition. Um, we actually obviously talked about the things we like. What are some things we don't like? That's something uh, no, we, I'm not we, done talking about things I like. Cross-classing in the system. So easy, so fun. I love it. Archetypes. Fantastic. Basically takes the place of prestige classing. It lets you have characters be very different, even with the exact same build. That's very nice. One thing, okay, here's one thing I don't like. There are some archetypes within the game. If you aren't a battle master, you're doing it wrong. If you are not a battle master fighter. fighter, you have basically done it wrong. I, I kind, okay, you have more experience, so I'll bow to that. But Elder, I honestly Elder think Knight's good. Do not get me wrong. If you want to do that thing, Eldritch Knight is a fine archetype. The Guardian. Like or no, the, the champion. champion is garbage. There are narrative reasons you might like it, but yeah, mechanically. To, to give some um, sort of just very brief overview, um, archetypes are basically ways of more specializing your character after a certain after third level, where you can basically go, okay, my character is this generic class, but he's going to be a specific type of this generic class. Like, and each and, one has two or three usually. Yeah. Um, Three, so. three to uh, three in the case of every other class except for wizard, which has like six. Yeah, well, no, they, they have eight. Schools, they have yeah. one for each school. Each school of but they have a very narrow. They're extremely ultra narrow when the you pick them. I thought they only had valor. Oh, and, you're right. I think bards only um, have like. They have two, uh, valor and knowledge. Yeah, bards have two, and clerics have about six or seven. Depending on a the huge number. They have domains. Have, like, yeah, two, which but they got a bump. Yeah, cleric. Yeah, sorcerers only have so, two as well. Ryan said Eldritch Knight, and that's just a fighter who at a certain point can cast some types of magic. And basically, I'm a magic wizard. Um, I'm not a war mage. I'm not a guy who like shoots fireballs from, from half half a football field away at the bad guys. Like, no, I'm up in his grill, but I'm exploding him with all magic missiles and a few other things. You want to make that your, your shtick, 
you can do that. You can learn evocation. Like evocation is one of the schools that elder knights can learn. Mm-hmm. And if they, if you want to be the crazy son of a bitch who drops a fireball on the end of his sword and like, you know, pops it off and explodes yourself, that that's more than viable. But m- that's one of my da- the downsides of it. There are some there are some non choices. If you aren't using Eldritch Blast as a warlock, you're having a bad. You might be having. You, a bad You might time. feel a bit underpowered. Warlocks a little underpowered compared to other classes anyway. And if you're a fighter, it, unless you're not using any kind of um, battlefield mapping, either miniatures or something. Um, if you if, if if you are doing any sort of narration of of space on the battlefield, you should be a certain. You should be a battle master. I, I want to try, and I'm definitely going to put this challenge to you guys. Uh, next D and D fifth edition game, I have a chance of playing for any length of time. I'm going to play a fighter champion. I'm going to see what I can rock and roll and do with that because I think what the champion is, uh, from what I've read, is it going okay? You're playing. This is your first D and D game. Do you want to play something not complicated? That is a great point, actually. That uh, you, you bring up what? a really good point because um, you mentioned it. I think. Yeah, go on, Murph. I think you were about to say the Oh, well, I wouldn't say Battlemaster is exactly complicated, and um, but it's definitely – Champion is a little simpler to use, especially if you're more da- narrating the fight, if you're not using any kind of mapping. It, it's a little I simpler. I like Thief, uh, the Thief spec on Rogue might actually be the same thing because while it is not super mech- – it is a lot of – passive stuff that you don't have to think about mm-hmm. it's just numbers on your sheet so that might be what they were going with there might those archetypes may be i think in every single one there's about yeah there's like, like one aspect one of the archetypes are pretty simple like dragon sorcerer i mean pretty simple chaos sorcerer Ugh. unnecessarily complicated that's yeah, the worst but I it's chaos you can do some weird stuff in that one oh, weird birds. stuff can happen to you yes um one of the oh one of the most important things we forgot to mention, uh, crits. They're the most important thing that everyone talks about forever and ever. Oh yeah, uh, that's D and D is actually. I'm surprised we didn't say this at the beginning of the show. Critical hits is like the word in role playing. Is when you get a crit, it's a good thing. Ha ha, huzzah! Critical hit, ha ha. In in third edition, there was a ridiculous system in which there was weapon and strength multiplications over and over again with with stacking. You know, multipliers. In in fourth edition, you simply maxed your damage out. In fifth edition, you roll an additional damage die, or the damage you double. You basically roll double the damage, right? Without any other doubling whatsoever. And and so everyone knows what a critical hit is. It's just when you naturally a the die comes up a twenty. When generally in combat, you automatically hit. There's doesn't matter what the bonuses are, what the AC is. You hit them regardless, and you do generally extra damage of some sort. Right, you had to roll it again and hope you get it. That was annoying. That was the worst. That, add, that made, added. That's an extra like ten seconds, if not more, to every like hey, action. What What's the greatest thing when you're rolling eight attacks with a sixteen to twenty crit range? Rolling it again. Rolling, rolling it again. Eight attacks <laughs> with your sixteen to twenty crit range. <laughs> you actually landed the hits. It's, it's it was just yeah. I've I've done that too much. I think my I think going back into something uh what I don't like um. And I do like an awful lot. It's I have to rack my brain actually to find something I don't like. I actually would have liked to have seen more setting in the player's handbook. I understand exactly why they didn't do that. But I love my setting, and I think there are a lot of really rich settings. Because if you have the core three books, I think some setting could be really helpful for a starting person I actually actually disagree I think it is easier to run these kind of games without being tied to a specific existing setting it is less pressure on the GM to know everything about the setting intimately which if you're a new GM very difficult Um, when you have the power to hand wave or or until something is brought up into play not worry about certain aspects of the setting that's very free you don't have to worry about your player walking up to you with his his finger on a page yeah it over and over again oh yeah like because i was actually running a game for some friends and i was like i guess faroon ish because i I don't know that sitting super super well i've never played much in the way of games that were super duper in a specific um D &D setting but that's the you know that's that's the fantasy setting and uh my friend was like oh i know everything about that like okay never never mind i don't want to do that setting then because i don't but my argument is that by having a little bit of base and example if your gm is your GM should be the most mature one at the table. I put that in giant air quotes. Um, 
he should go, okay, that's some cool examples. I've never really done this before. Let me see what they do. And then go, okay, let me build off that rather than go, well, look, well I got to build this whole world myself. And that can be very, very daunting. Luckily, is it? Is it? Luckily, I love world building. It's very, yeah. very easy to get a hold of the Horde of the Dragon Queen. It's, or, yeah, or, yeah, it's yeah, they, on their website. Do, it's just there. You're right. You're. Yeah, I forgot about that. They, they just provided some setting materials. Huge, huge books of like pre-gen. Like, I think like 1 to 6, level 1 to yeah. 16 level adventures yep. and stuff. Very, very robust uh, pre-generated content that is gives you a lot to work with and even one of my more experienced gm friends who's done his own worlds like more than three times over now has had apparently had a ball running like just the pre-generated stuff right and just it found it a lot really easy reading the elemental evil Um, oh good old-fashioned temple of elemental evil huh uh the one game i would absolutely adore like somebody running for me and I we would want to do it in fifth edition is a drow game, like a serious hard wall to wall drow game because fucking drow. I well, no, the reason I like them no, is No, no, just for those who don't know, I'm super racist against elves. So. <laughs> I, hate I hate elves so much. Drow ears. Yeah. Like... For drow for people who are listening that may not understand exactly what drow it's are. Because they're black. No, no. They're in back in the history of AD and D, you have elves that have pointy ears. It's all based off Tolkien. And they're so and, much better than you. Yeah, well, fucking elves. Yeah, they're not, luckily they're not Tolkien super people because that's what literally they are is Tolkien super people. In D and D, they're a little more manageable. Uh, and what happened is in any history of AD and D, there was a big schism amongst the elven race. Some of them went horribly evil and followed an evil goddess called uh, goddess called Loth, and they the went underground. Queen. The Spider Queen. They went underground, and that those are drought. They're just. Also, ran by women, all evil. Yeah. Oh, it, generally all evil. Drow are... Listen, they could use the patriarchy. <laughs> they just, I'm not going to finish that sentence. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, I think we I, broke Murphy for a second. We'll I'm give her a moment. Underdark. I've done my time in the Underdark. I'm good. I, I wanted. I had a great concept for it because the, the, the books that have been written for the Drow are really good and their their society is super interesting War of because the Spider you're... Queen was a wonderful series of books like you mm-hmm. don't ever if you read any one like if you're like I'm going to try me some forgotten realms yeah those are fiction not for those of us listening not some of the role playing books yeah, the fiction books the war of the spider queen are a wonderful representation of draft society and like the complexity of the people who live there instead of just like baby eating levels of yeah. people. Like you you get the ideas they're really just all really just selfish to the point of some are just actively crazy evil and most of them are just self serving. But I think we're getting off track. Right, right. I just was it was I was uh waxing poetic for a moment. Uh I think if I had to pick one thing that I actually and again, like I'm gonna talk about this in the context of like this is not Babby's first game. Yeah. Um, like at a table full of experienced people, I think backgrounds are crap. And I, yep, I fucking hate the background system. I, Thank you for bringing that up. I'm gonna. I'm, I I have the counter argument. Okay, please do. Uh, I like the background system. I think it uh, helps a lot, especially with the new player uh, experience. It's great for new players. It's, it's fantastic for uh, for even old players. I think there is. Okay, this is why I say it's good for older players. Yes, you've you've played a couple rounds of D&D and a couple other games and you know what role playing is, but you could go through this book and every background can be inspiration that you did not think about. Cuz sure. a lot of people have sort of typical modes that they get in for role playing, especially the types of characters they like to play. Yeah, you should play what's fun for you. I mean, I play different characters all the time, but um I mean, but you're different, I, but I would love to be like, "Oh, you're the guy who always plays Sword McShield, dude. Hey, read the background system." And he's like, I really like the uh, I really like the cloister guy or the acolyte or the the, the sage. That, I think that they are really interesting from a narrative standpoint. I don't like the choose these choose a specific character trigger that you get inspiration for. Actually, I don't like inspiration as a thing that GMs give out. I in fact, when I run a game, you get your inspiration back at long re- after a long rest. Because I, I, uh, yeah, I don't like the mechanical aspect of backgrounds. Yeah. Is actually more what I'm getting at. I don't. Okay. Like, they're unbalanced. They are. You think they're too? How, in what way do you think they're unbalanced? Uh, they shoehorn you into stuff. They're unbalanced as far as starting equipment. They can really, really vary as far as the values you get. 
that that I can totally see because the noble definitely yep. gets more than any of the yeah. others. Abilities are actually, if you want to get down to a mechanical imbalance, yep. the Outlanders is is the best one. Yeah, yeah, I was actually sitting and just writing what some of the stuff does. Like I was just adding up the values for what you get um, for your for, for your equipment, and then just how many proficiencies you get in languages and toolkits for each one, and they are just all over the damn place, which is actually discouraging from a mechanical perspective because you're going to min-max whichever is the best for your guy. That's uh, fair. No, I never really thought about it because I haven't looked at the – I like the background system, but I was like, well, let me move on to other things. I never right. really just like totally the broke it I down. The reason I did that was actually because I was interested in running a game and I wanted to make sure that if I was uh, doing GM fiat backgrounds, allowing people to make their own, that I was being fair. And I found it was impossible, so I said, no backgrounds, everybody gets two proficiencies and X amount of starting crap. And, you know, that's... And that, also because I don't do the, the inspiration system. Um, that's fine. Uh, for the people who... I'll overview of the inspiration system real quick. It's basically a way of giving yourself advantage on critical roles. Basically, you're like, I spend an inspiration and I can roll, get advantage on any you role that I want. You have it or you don't. Once yeah. you have it, it's expended until the GM gives it back to you. And, the GM is encouraged by the book to give it back to you if you meet certain roleplay triggers or if you do something awesome. And the reason I don't like that is because when I am GMing, the most charismatic person at my table is going to get it more even if they're not necessarily more deserving. It is impossible. And, and when I have been in, in, in other systems that use stunting or, or inspiration-like stuff, things where the GM just gives you bennies. It always works that it way. It always works that way, no matter how hard everybody tries. And player, and when there's systems where players are supposed to award it, it never happens. I just don't like. I, I just prefer to keep that stuff dry and not subjective. Yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. I I see it from the new player experiences that this is a good. These are good barometers for role playing your character oh. and for helping the GM. Are, if you have a hard time coming up with a character, uh, the other thing too is. Uh, when I play characters, I like for them to be dynamic. I like to have starting ideas of what they are, and I usually don't even get a feel for that for the first couple of sessions. And I like for them to change. So having these set, like, I am optimistic, or I believe, you know, your your set things uh, from your I, background. I'm hoping that, I mean, those are written with the expectation, though, that they yes. get erased eventually. Yeah, but those are supposed to be the triggers that get you your inspiration I, 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 would, I can't imagine uh, 30 sessions in, like your, like, your character having been through everything, and it's just like... Well, well, Johnny, you didn't act optimistic this time, so no inspiration for you. I don't, I don't see that. No, either. no. I, I read those as like giant guidelines. They're like, starting. They're they're a starting point for if you have a hard time on, um, determining a personality. And so really useful for NPC generation. I love them for that. In fact, yeah, especially really when I'm making random NPCs. Well, uh, so there's another thing I, I don't like about D and D. And this is every D&D, not just 5th, though I have most experience within 5th, and that is that there is no social combat mechanic. These mm. social roles are never for use on players. They're only for use on NPCs. Uh, my, PC, my NPC, if I'm GMing, can't roll a persuasion against you. Right. I can't be like, you believe me. That's and, actually a very good point. That's something I hadn't thought about. And I love you're social absolutely, mechanics. Well, it's the idea is, well, I have mechanics. These are the physics of the world. This is how the world operates. Why are the why are these? Why is there one class of things this works on and one that's not? Exactly. It's, and I want you know if my characters have are good at you know mechanically good at intimidation, I want that to come through. Yeah. So I, I want mean, to, give them role play, to roll it. You're obviously going to role play the best of your ability that intimidation skill. But when I'm like in an argument, let's say with Ryan or with you. And I'm socially more adept than you. Like, we'll take Ryan. We'll take. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm glaring as hard as I can at Murphy right now. Okay, patriarchy. Yep. <laughs> um, like, let's take a D and D game that we're in. Uh, Ryan plays uh, Quill, a very stubborn uh, half elf barbarian, and I'm a half elf. Rather unpleasant. Yes, and I'm It'll a very pleasant, play. generally very pleasant, but uptight half-elf cleric who's nominally the leader of the party and i put that in giant quotation mark yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're the leader you're that's it yeah i'm a cop and i also look you have some authority we don't have because you're part of the church so you know no i mean narratively you do have more authority in the game right. i play a fighter but if i want to do deep. something i have to go through nine layers of arguing with ryan even though my character is very socially adept and his character is relatively, but not as well. And, yeah, I have, as well. and I have played other systems outside of the D&D world that do have a robust social mechanic. Um, I never like things that take agency away from players. You should never just be like, you have to act this way. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. But I do like, well, okay, this person won. Uh, you can't see out in the podcast line I'm doing well, air quotes. Won this argument. So you can still disagree with them, but you take a penalty of some sort 
in, in another way. Yeah. And, and I enjoyed, yeah, to act against it. I mean, Legend of the Wooland has something very similar to that with it. You can, you know, yes. socially enforce conditions on people. That yep. may, and if they like, agree with you, then they don't get penalized or they might even get buffs from it. If they yeah. don't go along with what you said, then they either get penalized or... And willpower, you drain. I mean, if an exalted, you drain willpower. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and never know. after you take stress. Yeah, you um, take mental damage. And I tried to, I played around a little bit with uh, using the exhaustion mechanic, but I just don't like it. It's too kludgy in D and D five. Mm. With that, there's um, just literally no way within the confines of the system to really properly express a social combat mechanic. In right, and in, 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 in a way that makes sense. And nominally, it's supposed to be a group dynamic where the group mostly gets along and are are there to do the adventure together. Oh, and sure. We also, don't... it's baby's first role playing game, so it's the idea of. You shouldn't really have to deal with this because we're just too worried about killing the dragon. Um, I would say the the games I've had that have been more contentious have actually been with less mature, less less. I don't want to say mature, but less experienced players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in our game, we're all very experienced players. We do have contention, but we still get shit done. Yep. We don't like get super mean with each other. But I've played a game where people just completely work at cross purposes, and they're usually people who are not used to the mechanic of, or sorry, not used to. The realities of a group dynamic of I have to work with this group. Uh, I've had a well, well, actually a very bad um, experience I had in D and D. This was in three O. Was that basically we it got so intolerable between the players and their characters that I was like, I'm leaving the party, and they're like, Well, okay, make a new character because the party's going this way. And like well, you're 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 going away from the party, and the game goes with the party. It's like. Well, that makes no that that I understand why you're doing that, but it's a, that it's sucks. a pain in the ass when you're a GM and the party is split. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, the few times I, I have not a huge amount of GMing experience, but I do like to look at games with the GM's eye. And I mean, um, in in our in our G, so you want to run a game uh, episode? We do talk a little bit about. I, I actually don't know how much we talk about like keep, keeping with the party and like making it so that keeping with the party is a part of your character's progression. Your character always has to be. Like, you have to give the characters a reason that they want to continue doing the thing they're doing and staying together for that purpose. And part of that's GM stuff, but a lot of that's also players. Don't be dicks. Don't be dicks and actually make characters that work well together. Yes. Um, We don't specifically, if I remember correctly, don't go into a lot of detail about that kind of stuff. That may be something we'll bring up later. But uh, it's one of the – that's for D&D, that's definitely the true is you guys should try to get along as much as possible. Which is why I cringed a little bit actually when – besides hating elves when he brought up the drow game – Whenever I hear stories of all evil alignment games or whenever I run games in other systems where the characters were evil, like, you know, forgotten monsters, um, they uh, it can be very hard to keep the party aligned. It can just be very hard to keep the party together. Yep. And, and I So think if that, I was ever to run a game that was well drow or yeah. evil aligned or whatever, I'd have to be like, you guys have to work together the for some reason. And with that is evil alignment requires – I think it's 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 more complicated because – a lot of it has to be internal in a, in a tabletop yep. role-playing game because if you're too external with what a bad person you are, you're basically just going to have to eat babies to display it. And it's, <laughs> right. Or and also you're just going to get arrested. You're going to get arrested. The The party will try to kill you because you're trying to get arrested. But basically what it comes down to is it's not necessarily super fun to deal with. I mean – Also – Oh, go ahead. To deal with that much and like having to deal with other people's respect my internal role play, like you know. No. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just, <laughs> no. We're all here to have fun together. Actually, and that's something we didn't actually didn't bring up. That is very cornerstone to D and D. That had various levels of importance is alignment. In, yeah, in, that's actually what I was about to get yeah, into too. I'm not wild about alignment. That's not clear. It, I, I alignment. I see where it came from. And just the idea of here are some here are some goalposts and some benchmarks for your character here's how to roleplay. Playing Lawful Good was definitely a challenge for me because oh, yeah. that's not the kind of character I'm usually playing so when I've played characters like that it's been very fun but it's not something that really that I love. There's also I mean so just to There's, take a step back about Dungeons and Dragons there is there are a few scales on which these things stand. There's neutral evil and good mm-hmm. and then lawful and chaotic mm-hmm. in whatever combination. Uh, there's also a, a, another class, stupid. There's stupid alignment in which you are lawful, stupid, or stupid evil. Or, or stupid good. Or stupid good. Oh, which, they're all terrible. In which you play a caricature of what you think that alignment would be like and are disruptive at the table. <laughs> right. You know, um, yeah, my game, please don't be doing commentary while we're trying to have a good time together. Come on now. Yeah. Um, I actually so the the way I can reconcile alignment as being at all fun to play is I like to my alignment comes from my role play not the other way around right like 
you know, I played yes. a character that was lawful good. Now I'm chaotic good because I couldn't deal with being lawful. And uh, that's actually what I like about fifth edition is they from four zero and mm-hmm. from three point five they they pulled back the importance of alignment. There's a few spells where it matters, but not a whole lot, and it's almost all NPC directed. Whereas three zero and three point five alignment yep. was huge. Exactly, it was super important to like half the stuff you were doing and don't even get started on the detect evil train. Oh my God. And also that, no, go ahead. There were classes where you just simply couldn't access certain things or if your alignment slipped, it was a thing. Yeah. And it was just not. And that can be fun narratively. If the GM is like, Oh, well you're acting, you know, Oh, you're a cleric of a good God, but you're doing terrible things. Maybe you're going to, maybe you're going to get some blowback from that, but it should be part of the story. Not, yeah, it's it's it, it was just a part of the importance of the in five O. They were like, uh, that can be there, but that's completely up to the GM. Right. And let's just move on from there. Let's not actually make it hard coded into the philosophers system. Philosophers in real life argue all the time about what actually means to be good or evil. It's very hard to to quantify those things. Yep. And, and codify them in a game. Yeah, they so kind I'm of really stepped away from those. those glad questions. we've gotten away from it being that <laughs> important because it's very irritating. Well, we are getting past an hour, and we've talked a lot, we've rambled a lot, and we've loved a lot on 5th edition. Loved all over. Oh, it's so good. It's very, very good. I would definitely encourage anyone who's out there who's like, I heard your podcast, I know a little bit about role-playing, and I'm interested in really diving in. I think Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition is a fantastic way it's to start. It's a great first game. The Dungeon Master's anything. Guide has everything you need to run a great adventure. It has wonderful rules for, for adventure design, or rules, if guidelines. You, if you want to play a first game, White Wolf probably isn't the place to go. No, no, no. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's, that's sort of middle school, high school uh, role-playing experience, life, career that you want to go into and there. <laughs> and, and that may also occasionally equate to the level of maturity you'll encounter. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Look, we all went through our White Wolf experimental age and we were... Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> so many times it always ends in killing Oh, cops. don't worry. We'll, occasionally, we'll probably have Miss Murphy back and we'll probably talk a little bit a few other games and we'll probably hit on Do some White Wolf games. tweet at us if you also want uh, Kelly and Linda back on the show. I'm sure they would be Oh, yes, please, delighted. please. I promise you, Murphy knows about some weird ass tabletop games like i'm interested to learn from murphy about these weird ass tabletop games because i think I'm my my experience is fairly robust but i think yours blows mine out of the water i don't know i've definitely tabletop less than everybody else in this room even though i love it and it's a hobby that is near and dear to my heart i probably do have slightly more weird experiences because being out in the reeds by myself with people who didn't really know what we were doing, we just kind of fell upon whatever we found. Yeah, I mean, but uh, that's a time. That's a conversation for a future time. So, but if you really like this episode and you want us to like, if you have suggestions for a different game you'd like us to look at and review and just goob about, you can. How about Sailor Moon? I hear that's great. Yeah, that keeps coming up. I'm not sure about the Sailor Moon thing. Spencer really, really wants us to read through that book and make an assessment. Well, if. Uh, maybe if Spencer wants to send us an email at polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com. Get... He will. You oh. know, Kelly's never had fun GMing a game, she said, so maybe we should get her to GM us a game. And then we, we like give like a battle report afterwards, As like said, what we thought about it. Bibs on Mars because she's spicy. That's all. <laughs> that's all. Oh, no, we're going to go like to X planets and something out there. Light. Yeah, all right. Well, we all we've all watched it. We I, all know. I've just exhausted my Sailor Moon knowledge, actually. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll be the cat. I don't. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be the cat. I I'll be that sarcastic cat. I think he was sarcastic. I'm not. I haven't even begun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you want to, you want us to talk about stuff. Uh, remember, uh, email us at polyhedronpodcast at gmail You can also find us on Twitter. You can find me at bioimportance. Find Ryan at arduous R J U O U S. People are actually following me. It's kind of weird. And Murphy, if you're if you have a Twitter, or you nope. like nope. All right, exactly. well, but fair. But if you want us to have questions for Miss Murphy next time she's on the show, feel free to send us an email at the email address I've already said. And if you really really like the show, head over to Patreon.com/slash Polyhedron. If you Think- have a question for me, come find me. <laughs> Very well. Challenge accepted. Um, but if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash polyhedron. Think about becoming a patron. We have many different levels of uh, patronage, and every little cent helps us make this uh, show better and better, and I really want it to take off. So please head on over there, 
drop us a donation. You'll get a shout out on the, on the uh, site. Also, if you are on iTunes, please hop over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. That really helps us get up on the leaderboards, as it were, and gets us more exposure. So head over there, give us a five-star review, and um, yeah. Uh, oh, it cost you nothing. What are you waiting for? Exactly. Cost you nothing, but a little bit of time and a lot of love. So I'm Matthew signing off. Uh, go where your fun is. Go roll some dice. Bye.